Welcome to the NFT Now podcast. Every Wednesday, we speak with trailblazing artists, collectors, and technologists about how NFTs are redefining the creative economy and how you can be a part. I'm Sam Heisel. And I'm Matt Medved, and we're on a mission to empower the creators of culture. Welcome to the show. Alejandro, how we doing? Que tal, Matt? Thanks for having me back once again. Super excited to be here. Always a pleasure, man. Always happy to have you. Also really excited about our next guest. Uh, we've got Carson Woods, also known to our friends as Carson Daly, currently head of community at Crucible, formerly br- director of brand development at Superplastic, oversaw their uh, entry into the NFT space, and has become a really important voice in the community, uh, really active on Clubhouse, always leading great discussions, always looking to achieve equity and representation in the space. Uh, what are you excited about in today's conversation? Matt, I'm really excited. One, for her pug. Her pug's always making a, a, a an Instagram cameo, so I love that. And most, more importantly, I think she's such a authentic voice in this space, and I'm really excited to see how she brings that forward into her new roles and her new capacity into the industry as a whole. Same, same. She's an important part of the community. And without further ado, Carson Woods. All right. Very excited to have Carson here. Carson, uh, you know, I feel like, um, you know, you and I like first connected on Clubhouse, some of those NFT rooms for our listeners who may not be super familiar. I'd love to just dive right in and hear a bit about how you discovered NFTs, how you would like bridge the gap between like, for example, like physical toys and collectibles and digital collectibles while you're at Superplastic. Totally, totally. I so with Superplastic, we've kind of been in the space of NFTs a lot longer than we had even realized. And I'm I'm saying we because it's so natural to me, but really at this point, it's they. But um, through the animated character universe and through Janky and Googiemon and, and all of our toys, we were always creating like crypto art and crypto media. Um, but we were releasing it on a centralized platform, which was social media, releasing it on our website. And, and all toys start out as a 3D design and a 3D rendering. So uh, when I got the call from Nifty Gateway um, as the director of business development at the time, I remember I had just closed this major, major deal for a toy collaboration that I can't even announce, I think, because it's still unannounced and it's still in the works, but major, major deal. And um, I was kind of over the moon. And I remember emailing with the Nifty Gateway team being like, can we switch this from a Zoom call to a regular call? Because I was just like so excited to go celebrate. And when they were talking to me, they're like, NFTs and blockchain and Wisby. And I was like, "Uh uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Like just totally like absorbing, but like not really like consuming or understanding. From there, I I passed it off to Ayana, who's the head of um, sales and digital art at Superplastic. And she's incredible. And she really ran with it. And then like fast forward a bunch of months, because this was in this last summer, fast forward a bunch of months and... um, I was on Clubhouse and I saw the NFT rooms pop up and I was like, oh, we have an NFT job. Like, this will be really interesting. And I just started listening more and becoming more more obsessed and really like reframing how I thought of it to just fit into what I already knew about essentially project managing an entire animation department for the last two years. And it was like just light bulbs and fireworks going off in my mind. And I was like, I'm obsessed with this. Like, this is everything to me. I just really felt like it was the convergence of art and pop culture and progressive like ideas about human behavior. And it was just like so exciting to me. So I love it. 
you know, we touched on something really interesting there too, where like, you know, on sort of the importance of, of Clubhouse as like a platform for the NFT community to come together, you know, and I, I remember like that first super plastic drop um, and I, I was in that Clubhouse and, you know, like it, it, you feel like the spirit of community that everyone's kind of cheering for each other. Um, you get a lot of different artists together, all kind of amplifying each other. Um, and I know you've been a really active voice in that space. So I would love to kind of hear your thoughts about, um, Clubhouse as, as a platform for the NFT community and, and how you've, uh, what you've seen, how, you, how you've been able to kind of leverage it to, uh, to uh, bring people together and, and ensure success in, in your projects. Absolutely. I think that from that very first room, the biggest surprise to me, and it truly was a surprise that so many people were up on stage that I had been learning from over the last month or several weeks. And really it was probably only like two weeks to be completely honest. And they just kept saying we're here because of Carson. Like, thank you so much. Carson's done so much to be part of the community. And it was the first time that I was like, I really felt like, wow, you know, just by, by being a part of a community, by contributing, by sharing ideas or encouraging people, you are adding value to their art and to their mission and in their brand. And in my experience, leading community for super plastic, because that was one of my original job responsibilities, it was more of being a messenger for the brand where in this new platform, in this new way, where it's like social, but it's also professional, um, it felt really, it felt really real. And like, I could really be myself. And I think that's what Clubhouse is about. Like people, because it's your voice, because you don't have time to like correct your spelling or your grammar, or like switch what you're going to say it does feel real. And it feels like these opportunities to connect with people and Clubhouse as a whole has done so much to link people together and align like-minded people. And, and just in my mind, I think a lot of people talk about the NFT bubble. And I do think that to a certain extent, it is a bit of an echo chamber because a lot of us are talking to each other every day, the same people, the same groups. And those, those like groups are becoming micro groups and people are working together. But with with bubble there's this uh, you know this idea that it's going to pop and fizzle out but i've seen real friendships happen from this app and i've seen real lives change from nfts so that to me is like if we can just take the doors off this echo chamber take the roof off and then open it up to the rest of the world or we go out into the world we leave this echo chamber then you're talking like a whole you're talking about a revolution you're talking about that renaissance it's it's so beautiful. And I have I, clubhouse changed my life. It's like, <laughs> I feel like it's like, this is like a Tinder commercial where I'm like, no, seriously use Tinder. Like, but seriously, <laughs> like clubhouse really changed my life. And I don't know what I would have done without it. Seriously. That's really powerful. It. I think, I think, I think there's a lot of things that you're mentioning here in terms of the clubhouse change. And one thing that I really want to pick up on is like, you mentioned that you have your ability to be more yourself, right? And like, you have the ability to be free. Like, how important is your persona and the, your personality to the industry? Because you're consistently dropping some fire on IG. You're consistently like uh, unbashedly yourself, right? Like given that you are now a free agent and doing your own things, like how much of this is your persona and how much of this is your personality? That's such a good question. And I'm really glad that you asked because I have told very few people that 
I really play into different parts of my personality and different assumptions about my personality on social media. I think that, you know, I, I'm really inspired by uh, Plato's allegory of the cave. And I think that there's something to be said around like this kind of image, like this, this whole like um, curation of pictures that are on my Instagram that some people can look at and make a decision about who I am. And that's none of my business, what their interpretation or what their decision is based on who I am. And then people can listen to me on Clubhouse and make a like determination around who I am. But truly, like I'm the only person who knows who I am. And I think that both of those, both of those specific platforms do represent me to a certain extent, but it's also like that is for me to know what side of me it is representing and like how much power is in that. And I think that with Clubhouse, you know, sometimes I'm like, oh my God, I have to get on Clubhouse. Like, oh, I have to do this drop room. Like I got to get, and it's, it is hard, but as soon as I get on there and I start talking to people, I'm just, I do get so amped up and like, I know how to get in the zone. I put on a playlist and I dance and I practice talking and, and I used to get so nervous, but now I'm just like, if I, if I fuck something up or if I say something stupid, I'll just be like, well, that was stupid. And like say it live. And I think people like that because right now it's so hard for people to say anything, to post a tweet or a caption or or send a text message. Everybody overthinks everything. And I kind of like that I don't have any time on, on Clubhouse. And if I'm rambling or if I feel like I'm going off track, I'll just be like, I really don't know what I'm talking about right now. And I think people like people respect that and that resonates with them. And I've had people DM me and say like, it's really cool what you did. You know, last week I was in a room that I facilitate every single week and I had one of my guests that had been curated blatantly interrupt me and cut me off and not address at all anything that I was saying. And I was, I had, I had a second to think like, how am I going to handle this? And I remember I looked at all the people that were listening and I looked at the, my other co-hosts, like looking at them on my phone. And I was just like, I have to say something and it's scary. It's, it's extremely, it's terrifying because you don't know how that person's going to react and it makes you feel sick. Nobody likes being like, Hey, why did you do that to me? But like, if you don't advocate for yourself, nobody is going to. So I addressed it. I said, how are we talking about equality and accessibility and inclusion? And you just cut me off blatantly. And you're, you weren't even, you didn't even address me. Like you weren't even addressing my thought. And I, I feel bad. Maybe it made him feel uncomfortable, but the number of people that were like, I'm, I'm so grateful that you did that. Like, that's all that matters to me. Like I have to put my fear aside and like my anxiety aside because maybe somebody else will be inspired to advocate for themselves in the same way. No, nah, that was really powerful. And I, I, and I love the fact that you're stepping into this in, in such a brave way and bringing different parts of yourself forward and knowing when to have these parts come through how how do you manage the the balance between authenticity and essentially the allegory of the cave right like what like how do you take that authentic part of yourself out of that cave to make sure that your voice is being being true to who you are what you see in the industry for me personally right now and this could change all the time for anybody and for me included but 
I, it's all about the decisions that I make every day and, and understanding what my boundaries are. Um, you know, I had somebody reach out to me today and was like, do you want to like, he was like, Hey, do you want to like do this engagement campaign and like grow and and we'll give you like $5,000. And I was just like, no, because like, that feels very weird to me. Like, even though nobody would know, like I would know. And I think that part of it is just, you have to, you have to live with yourself. You know, you wake up every day with yourself, look yourself in the mirror and you look yourself in the mirror every night before bed. Like, did I make choices? And I've done things where I've been like, I'm hustling right now. Like I've got to get, I have to make a move. I have to, I have to like pave my own way here. And that's been difficult. And I've, I've made really challenging decisions, but I feel like I've always done things with like this sole mission. And I, I always ask myself, like, does this make me feel like I'm, I'm self-abandoning, like I'm rejecting any of my own boundaries. And if, if there's even the smallest amount, there's no amount of money in the world. There's no amount of followers. There's no amount of clout. Like if I don't want to do something, I won't do it. I've had people approach me to, to do drops with them, to facilitate a clubhouse room for a drop for something that I just don't believe in. And I'm not there. Like, I just won't do it because I know that by saying no to that thing, I'm actually like showing the world, showing the universe, like releasing myself energetically to take in the things that are right for me. Makes total sense. Makes total sense. And, you know, I think that so much of the space is really built on, um, you know, credibility, uh, authentic community. Um, you can't force things. So, um, you know, kudos to that. You got to catch us up now. So walk <laughs> us through, walk us through, uh, you know, uh, the decision to leave Superplastic. I know you're now head of community at Crucible. You've also got a ton of your own projects in the works. So let's let's hear it. I will start the first question, deciding to leave Superplastic. I mean, this was gutting. Like I felt truly, if you had asked me six weeks ago, six weeks ago, if I like what I thought about Superplastic, I would have said, I will be there until the wheels fall off. Like I I employee number three at that brand. Like, I feel like I'm a part of its DNA and every in captions you still read today from the characters, from the brand itself in the artwork, you know, that's there I'm in there and it's part of me too. But for some reason, you know, when you ask yourself when you get to a certain number of days asking yourself, is there something else for me? Like there, it's just, it gets to a point where it's just overwhelming. And it started with, you know, once a month, I would be like, is there something else for me? And then once a week and then every day, and then it was five times a day, 10 times a day. And until it was just like deafening. And I, I felt like I, I wasn't sure what I was doing, like with my life, with the, with the brand, was I giving it my all? Did I have more to give? When I started working at Superplastic, I had really like three goals. I wanted to like help to create incredible IP, like widely popular IP, which I did. I wanted to partner with a major luxury fashion brand, which we did. And I wanted to partner with a major um, gaming partner, which we did. And after those things happened, I was kind of like, like, not really, but I felt like I was like, those were my goals. So now what do I do? And and I, I had nothing lined up. Like I literally, when I tell you, I woke up on a Monday morning and I walked into Paul Bunnett's office and I sat down and I was like, I think I'm quitting today. 
And he was like, okay. And like, he was, we were both like, we we literally like both cried. Like it was, Oh my God, sorry, Paul, but he won't be upset, but we both cried. And then we, he was, then we were laughing and he's like, Oh my God, I'm so excited. Like, what are you going to do? And I was like, I'm going to move to LA. And I was like, I have no money. I have nowhere to live. I have no job, but I just started packing my shit and telling like a couple people like, yeah, I'm moving. And then it was within like a week or less that I had things lined up. And one of the first things that I had lined up was crucible. And it, it's really special to me because Ryan Gill is one of the first people that I really spoke with on clubhouse about NFTs. And he is so smart and people who are that smart often make other people feel really stupid. And I never felt that way working with him and talking to him and just asking him questions, asking him questions about setting up a digital wallet, about, you know, buying NFTs, what is like basically trying to understand NFTs. And then we started having these more existential conversations and like deeper conversations about community and about how, you know, DAOs can create more diverse communities and how we can make you know, digital media and content more accessible to people with disabilities or people from marginalized communities. And one thing led to another. And when I told him I quit, he was like, come be our head of community. And to me, it's just so exciting because again, now it's not me speaking as Crucible. It's me speaking as Carson and getting to be this like bridge between the Crucible community and the Crucible team. And like, the way that they're thinking about the world is just so inspiring to me. So I love them for that. And I'm so happy to be a part of it. So exciting. Even though I constantly feel like I have to like quiz myself so that I am as smart as Ryan is, it will never happen. But then outside of that, I'm just, I'm working with a handful of really talented, incredible people, artists, creators, I'm building brands. Like that's what I do. I'm a, I'm a brand evangelist. Like that's, that's my superpower. That is phenomenal. And so like, I love the authenticity and thank you so much for that vulnerable share. It's like, in terms of of that brand superpower, the brand evangelist, what does that look like for the Carson, the Carson brand? Like you said, you told us you have your own agency now, you're working with galleries, artists, right? Like, and how do we make sure that you become a brand evangelist for NFT now as well? So let's drop it. Oh there. my God. Yeah. I would love to. I already am like, I'm like, I've got so many things for you guys. Like I'm will literally funnel NFT now, like interviewees and content and news. Like you have no idea. You'll be like, we have to shut, like, we have to shut it down with Carson. Like, <laughs> but honestly, like for my own brand, I tell everybody like, I'm just a mirror. Like I am just a mirror. I'm showing you, I'm showing the people that I work with everything that I see like in them that they can achieve. Like I truly have this, this mission, this purpose to help other people. And it just so happens that I maybe am louder or I maybe think about things differently, but you know, one of my gifts that Paul Budnitz introduced me to, and, and, and he really exposed for me is I can look at everything for the first time every single time I see it. And it's not everybody can do that. And to be able to, to think about things and I come into these brands or I come into these with the I come into these ideas with people who have spent so much time thinking over this and losing sleep and and, and working on it 
that they get into this, like this tunnel and they can't see all the things that are coming in around them. And I have just like always been a big picture person and I've always Mm -hmm. been a futurist and I've always felt like I could trend forecast and been obsessed with pop culture, even though I grew up in Vermont, like it made no sense at all. Potential alien abduction has happened. (laughs) Like it's the only way to explain it. But for my, as, as far as my brand goes, like I will be happy as many projects that I can touch and be a part of and support and grow and incubate and amplify anything like that's that's where my brand is like I I want to be somebody that people know in like 10 years like I don't want anybody nobody has to know who I am right now like let all these other people that I'm working with like they're the ones to be known and then someday like I'll figure out what what the fuck I want to do for myself but right now I'm just like I, I am so inspired by people and I have so many ideas and and just love looking at people's brands and their approach and strategy and helping them like make it edgier, fuck it up or stand out or whatever it is. And it's just so much fun for me. Love that. I love that. And, um, you know, in keeping with that, so like now that you you are working um, with Crucible, I'd love to just hear a little bit more about like, what's the mission there? Like, tell us a bit about like the open metaverse. Like, what is that? Totally. It's so beautiful. And I think, you know, Ryan and Toby have done a ton of great work and interviews where they really talk about the the technical aspect of it. But to me, I think there's this major need in our world to have um, safe ownership and sovereignty over all of our identity. And I think it even goes as far back to my kind of natural and, and like my own portrayal of of allegory of the cave, we should be able to do this. Like we should be able to pick and choose which parts of ourselves we want to make public and keep the rest of it reserved and protected. And right now, you know, even back to our conversation before we started uh, recording, you know, about your seed phrase and about where you keep your things. Like I want to exist in the world without fear that my entire life could be, you know, could, could fall to pieces because I lost my phone and my phone has stuff in it, or I lost a notebook and my notebook has passwords in it or whatever that is. And essentially crucible while it's built in this kind of gaming format and it looks like a game. And I think people within gaming will adopt it more quickly. It's going to be a place where we eventually will all go to store our personal data. And they are saying like, the gates are open. You can come into Crucible. You can use our product to create a like a data server for yourself that exists in a decentralized way and then take it with you. And I think that's massive because they're saying that like they believe in their own mission so much that they're not going to gatekeep. They're not going to say you build, you put your data, you build your data and your persona into our plot, into our product. And then you have to stay like they are saying, we want you to be safe. We want you to be protected. We want you to be able to move freely in the metaverse. And that's exactly what it is. It's blueprints for the open metaverse. Thank you for for, uh, for for giving us that insight. It sounds really exciting. You know, one thing I think you know, I know I know it's I know it's come up in some of the clubhouse rooms that you posted, and I, I think it's a it's an important um, topic of conversation for the whole NFT community. Is just 
ensuring like equitable res- representation, um, mm-hmm. uplifting female artists, obviously um, ensuring diversity and representation. Um, just because you know th- there are so many issues in the traditional art world, we don't want to see them. We don't want to see them just reconstructed the same way in this new space. Um, and I know that you've really you know you've been a you've been an active voice in that. So I'd just love to hear your thoughts on on where we're at currently and what we can all be doing better. Oh my gosh, thank you so much for asking that and especially using this platform to be able to ask those questions because it's really important. And I'll just quickly share that my experience was in a clubhouse room. I was honest, I was listening into a conversation where there were probably 10 or 12 people up on the stage and they were all men and they were talking about the title of the room was intrinsic value of NFTs. And people were talking about community and accessibility and inclusion. And I, I raised my hand and I, I asked them to bring attention to the fact that there were no women on the stage and they started just laying into me and being like, can you name 10 artists? Can you name 10 women right now in the space? And I was like, no, like I could barely name one. And when I, then, then they kicked me off the stage. Like they moved me to the audience and I was so defeated, but I really took that as an opportunity to be like, I'm going to be a voice in this. And it's not out of character for me. When I was in college, I double majored in women's and gender studies. I was the youngest person on the board for Planned Parenthood of Northern New England. I started Planned Parenthood Generation Action Club at my Uh, college, you know, I've done a lot of work in this. So it made sense. And I at least had an initial framework to work to to speak from. Um, But again, like, it's just me being a mirror, like, I just want to amplify. And I think to answer your question, where we're at right now, it's still um, massively imbalanced. I mean, I think that there's still this, you know, when, when does Nifty Gateway ever do drops that are women? Like you can go weeks, I think sometimes without noticing them. Like I think even in clubhouse rooms, just not, not allowing women's space. And I think one thing that I talk about often in clubhouse is that you cannot get to equality without first addressing what is been, what has been inequitable. And we have to, we can't just level the playing field. We have to raise it up. Up for women and for people of color and other marginalized voices before we can even start to think about equality. Like those opportunities have to come first. And this is a conversation that I have a lot of times with my consulting partners too on how to make more equitable hiring decisions because everybody defaults to, well, and this is the same in the NFT space. Well, we want the best artist or we want the best candidate. And I, for sure, you know, is the the application pool going to be predominantly men? Well, yes, because that can go way far back to look at the history of how people apply to things where people see themselves, where levels of confidence are, the language that's used in these application processes, whether it's on Maker's Place or Nifty Gateway or to get a job at Amazon, like it doesn't really matter, but you have to be actively saying like, we don't care how long it's going to take. We're going to spend extra time to curate applicants, to curate, you know, contributors or artists for this platform so that it is diverse and that it is, you know, it is spotlighting and amplifying women. And I think that's, that's what people can do better is to, you know, 
there's this conversation around like tokenism that it's so negative. And there is a very, very, very negative and dangerous way of tokenizing people, but also you can actively recruit and you can actively search to build your panels on Clubhouse or build your lists of artists or your companies, your company's executive teams with women. It's an active decision to say, I am going to spend more time making sure that this panel is this percent diverse or has this percent of people, you know, this percent of people from this background or this level of experience and be able to actually work toward those goals in a way that's super meaningful. Um, That's kind of the, that's the long answer. I think just really actively recruiting and actively making decisions and checking yourself and allowing other people to check you and then not getting too defensive or, or being upset with somebody like just accept okay, you're right. I could have done that better. This is so powerful. And I love, and I love that. That's such eloquent and educated standpoint, which is so factually based on facts. Right. And in, in that, in that capacity, as you, as you may know, in the community, there's a curation conversation going on that there's also not only about artists and not only about art, but platforms are kind of spraying and praying. How, how important is curation going to be not only for the industry as a whole, but the sustainability of art and artists themselves and NFTs? That's such a good question. Curation is important in every, um, every affinity market that we're talking about, you know, not everybody is going to be at complex con, like not every streetwear brand is going to be at complex con, not every, not every like shoe designer is going to end up getting a collaboration with Nike. Like curation is the foundation of pop culture. I truly do believe that. But I also think that at a certain point, again, like I said, in the beginning of this conversation, there's a bit of an echo chamber. And when we create that echo chamber and we use curation as an excuse and we say, no, well, we're curating this, or this is curated. Like we really, that is also problematic because we're getting away from the true definition and the ethos behind curation. Every platform can be different. I would love to see how platforms create these missions and visions around what type of art and what type of artists they're going to feature and then curate based on that. Like the, these thematics of like, we want people that have this type of background or this type of art style. Like I would love to see that happening instead of it being more random. You know, I think like we saw ASAP Rocky come into this space. We're seeing major talent come into this space. And I don't know that it's it's very fair or appropriate or powerful um, to put those people alongside of other artists who are who are so incredible and magical as well. Not to say that ASAP Rocky isn't an artist in his own right, but this space is different. And we have to think about, you know, when you say curation, but it's a free-for-all. I mean, I am disturbed that nifty gateway canceled bobby hundreds drop like that's disturbing to me like somebody who has done so much for pop culture for the very industry that is going to be pushing this forward like i send everybody that i talk to when they don't know what an nft is i send them posts from bobby like on instagram i say this this man this brand 
is the reason that I, I feel so confident to, to explain this. It's, I use his content to explain it to somebody else. Like it's offensive to me as a person that's trying to really like push this space forward. Like I'm offended and the no disrespect to Nifty Gateway, but I understand business is business, but like, I think that is to use curation as an excuse to be able to treat the entire industry with such blatant disrespect is that's offensive and that disturbs me. I think that, you know, gatekeeping also tends to come into play a lot. You know, we need true curators to come into this space. And one of my projects that I'm building aims to do just that. Like I really want to create a drop model, a curation model that acts essentially as like an art brokerage meets curator, where we have consistent jobs, three artists, three NFTs once a week, and we build brand and we build excitement and build community around our brand for these artists so that they come in and they have a platform and that the people who are following and who are part of this, this platform and this audience already know that what we're bringing into this space is, is so um, hyper criticized by us to make sure, does this fit with us? Like, does this, does this feel like us? Does it match our core mission and our values? So I'm, I'm excited to see more people be inspired by that idea. I know I won't, I won't be the first or the last, um, but, you know, look at Gagosia and look at all of these art houses and these people who are known for being excellent curators who have great taste. We need more of that in this space right now. It's too, too corporate. It's too much of a business. Yeah. Yeah. I think you raised some really interesting and, and like, you know, compelling points there. I think that, um, you know, one thing you touched on too, you know, talking about, for example, like ASAP Rocky, you know, I think there's, there's a really interesting kind of debate right now going on in the community about, um, you know, there are so many people who are, who are trying to enter the space, celebrities and the like. And, you know, I, we, we've obviously seen like we've seen it go well, you know, for example, like, you know, I, I think like generally speaking, a lot of people thought that like Paris Hilton did a lot of a lot of things right in how she how she approached her her drop. We've obviously also seen the other side with like the backlash against Ellen DeGeneres um, and, you know, some of the backlash uh, against some some other artists that, that have released on Nifty and, and some other platforms. So I would just love to hear your thoughts. Like, you know, what, what do you think uh, entrants, like new entrants to the space uh, should do? Well, how, how can they, what, what, what's the, what, how can they enter the space um, from a credible place? I think it, it starts all with objectives and goals. You know, every good, every good movement or pivot for a brand, whether that is a brand that is represented by a talent or whether that is talent that kind of is a brand in, in their own right, like you have to have clear objectives in mind. You know, to me, I think the biggest issue with this with this Ellen conversation is that it feels like a mockery. Like it feels like her saying like, oh, so I could just draw on this piece of paper and then mint it and it's an NFT. Like that's something that that is you know, really damaging. And I imagine, you know, that's something that my friends have said to me before. Like when I try to talk about this and get excited about it, I'm sure you guys have experienced the same as something similar where they're like, so then this could be an NFT. And, and you're like, well, yeah, but like, you know, you're talking about purity. You're talking about what, like that's, that's neither here nor there. But I think when you talk about objectives and in setting clear goals, 
you know, that's, that's the most important piece. And I never work with anybody whose goals or objectives have any dollar signs in them. And I'm super excited. I just, I just locked an opportunity to work with some really major young talent that are, it's going to be a really polarizing drop. No doubt. It's going to be, um, I'm really, I'm nervous and I'm anxious, but I'm also excited about how it's going to be received by the rest of the community. But give us the details, give us the details. Come on, Carson. I, well, I'm like not going to say, I won't say anything, but I will say, because I want this to be like on record that I lost sleep over this because I was, I thought about the power that this has for the entire community and for people who are outside of this community. I mean, I'm talking an entire generation of people. You got to give us an Easter egg. You got to give us an Easter egg. Okay. (laughs) Well, let's just say that like, this is, um, there will be a lot of newcomers into this space that represent a very target, um, a very key target demographic and age group that the three of us are not a part of. I thought to myself, what does this have the power to do for the entire movement? And I don't know that these are that the talent themselves are are entering the space with like a plan and a vision for longevity. But I know that I have a really big opportunity to um, build something really special around them and be able to kind of leverage their platform and their reach to bring a lot of art to change lives of a lot of artists. And I think to bring new collectors into this space, to spread education and resources and knowledge, like I feel that there's give and take with everything. And, and if somebody, if if the, the moral of the story here is like, if you are talent and you're going to enter this space and you have a massive platform and you have a massive reach, post something on fucking social media, go on Instagram live, like invite an expert to come because if you are going to come in and get your bag, I personally do not care. Like good on you. Like what, if you're not doing it for love or money, then you're not doing it. Like whatever. I don't, that's just kind of like what happens. I tend, I like to do things for love, whatever. That's just me. But I think that if you are, if that is going to be your, your motivation to come in and get your bag and then get out just so that you can be known as one of the first to do it, make your, your case study, whatever, that's okay. But leave something behind, Mm. like take, like, like leave something behind, like spend some time on your social, like introduce, if you have a reach of over, you know, millions and millions of people and you have a 3% engagement rate of that 3% engagement rate, maybe two and a half percent of those engaged followers might actually become collectors in this space. If you take one fucking social media post to tell them what an NFT is and why they should care about this. Like, especially people, especially like Gen Z, because this is a technology that was built for them. They just don't know it yet. They've already been doing this. We're able to do, like, we're behind on this. Like, they've been doing the Fortnite skins shit and the other, you know, the Pokemon Go. I did Pokemon Go for a stint. It was really fun. But, you know, they, that's their thing, but they just don't get it because nobody's contextualized it for them so if you're gonna come into the space to get your bag like leave something behind make it make it make it worth something to the people that that you came in here to like or everyone's just gonna forget about it instantly like 
it just, it's very, it's all about reciprocity here. Like we're not, this is no longer like a transactional way of living. Like we are, we're over that. We want, we want our lives to be more reciprocal. Like that's, yeah. that's what this is about. This is awesome. And it sounds like you're incredibly passionate. And this is such an important topic for you. And so now like looking into the same theme, like closing it out, I'm handing you a crystal ball. It was that what what is the three to five year vision of at the NFT industry look like for you uh, from the Carson Woods perspective? Oh my gosh, what the heck? How how have I not thought about this before? Um, I think for you know, the first thing that comes to mind obviously is that we will be able to feel hopefully you know, if we can feel 1% safer that all of our personal information and data is not going to be um, weaponized against us, then that that is so critical to me. And I, I that's why I work with Crucible because I'm, I'm so passionate and I truly believe that just alleviating if only 1% of that fear and anxiety will do so much to make so many people happy. Um, if we have a world where people are are paid for their work. If people are happy, you know, I, I don't know if you've heard me say this, I was really going hard on it for a couple of weeks, but I have envisioned this, this concept of crypto culture and what crypto culture is, is it's the next generation of pop culture and it's going to someday maybe replace or be positioned, you know, in tandem with pop culture. But to me, what I've come to define it as is opportunities for individual happiness and communal bonding. Because if we're happy in our everyday lives, in our jobs, in our relationships alone, whatever it is, if we are happy, like truly happy, then we are so much more capable to be a active and amazing contributor into a larger community. And we need that. We need community so badly, but you can't just throw people into a room and say you're a community. Like they have to feel happy to be there. They have to want to help. And, and that is just, I want to see a world where people are truly happy. Even like I said, with the 1% of safety and like the, you know, decentralization of, of information and, and power. And all, if we can be more safe, if we can feel 1% safer about our personal data and identities, and we can feel 1% happier every single day, every year, if I can work on that, then like, that's, that's good. That's all I want to do. Little by little. Little by little. Well, you're, you're doing great work. And, um, you know, I think that, like you said, it's, it's, you know, community lies at the heart of, of, of the space. And, um, so crucial, obviously, um, you're an important voice in it. So thank you so much for joining us, Carson, uh, and best of luck with all these new future endeavors. We're, we're excited to, to see where everything goes. Thank you. And it's really, I want to say you guys are really important too, because it's, it would be very easy for you to fall into, you know, the same kind of routine of, of who you feature and what types of people and, and who fits into that mold. And like, even for a second, I had to check myself, like, do I, am I like qualified to be on this ship? But like, it's important. And I appreciate that. So I think what, what you guys are doing is awesome too. And you are part of the solution. So this is for anyone who wants, as I like to say on Clubhouse. <laughs> and <laughs> I'll you so see much, you person. soon. Alejandro, that was a great conversation. What stood out to you? And that was a really powerful conversation. One of the main things that I love is that 
she brings so many different parts of who she is forward and how authentic she truly is in the conversations that she brings forward, especially in Clubhouse. I believe like her her approach with philosophy, her approach with women's studies, her approach for the vision of privacy is really gonna be a pivotal uh, movement for her and her career. Like just really awesome. Yeah, man. I, I loved her sort of retelling of her decision to leave Superplastic, which couldn't have been an easy decision, but she just knew she had to do it. And she sort of set out, um, you know, moved to LA without anything lined up. And obviously the, you know, opportunities presented themselves. And I think that like a lot of a lot of people can relate to that in the sense that like everyone's trying to find their place in the NFT space and in the community. But I feel like there are so many people who are ready to kind of let go of, of what they were doing before, who are ready to make big plunges and big leaps. And I think she spoke to that really authentically and emotionally. You know, I just loved hearing her thoughts on on the importance of community and achieving equity and representation in the space. You can tell she's super passionate about it. And uh, it's something that, that we should all be keeping front of mind in everything we do. You hit it right in the nail of the head. Um, I think there's one word that keeps coming up for me when I think of Carson, and that's trailblazer. We may not see it yet, but she's definitely blazing the trails for others to succeed. Great having her on. Uh, for all of our listeners, look forward to hearing to, to having you join on our next podcast. In the meantime, be sure to check out our newsletter, nftnow.substack.com, and we will catch you in the metaverse. Thank you.